Before I start, I just want to want to publicly thank Steve Bruns. I don't know if he's actually even in here at the moment, but every every Sunday there's always a cup of cold water up here for whoever is preaching. And I don't know how many years he's been doing it, but every time I preach, I'm very thankful for him. So, thank you, Steve. He's probably serving, counting the offering right now. Um, so, when I preached back in June, we looked at James and various other passages talking about what I described at that point as the trial of wealth and all the temptations that come along with being wealthy. Um, and I also shared that according to statistics, if you make $32,400 this year, you are in the top 1% of the world in income. So with that in mind, most of us, at the very least when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we are wealthy. Okay, we're wealthy. Um, and this, this came back to me the other day. I was talking to someone about air conditioners. And uh, 50 years ago, a lot of homes apparently didn't have them. I was not around before air conditioners became a common thing here. Um, but at least in the Midwest today, we can't really imagine living without air conditioners. Can you imagine a St. Louis summer now in our houses without AC? It'd be, it would be hot. And if our AC goes out, it's something that we fix like right away. It's like, man, the AC's out. I got to call someone and get them out here right now, even if it ends up costing thousands of dollars. Um, if our ACs both went out in the church here, I'm sure we would rally together and be like, we're going to get one of these things fixed so we don't have to sit in here and sweat all Sunday. Um, we can't handle the heat without the AC. But in other hotter parts of the world, air conditioning is a luxury um, for the wealthy. In Belize, most homes do not have air conditioning, um, even though almost every day in Belize is like a hot, humid St. Louis summer day. Okay? Um, what we consider to be essential, others consider a luxury. Now, I'm not in any way saying we should get rid of our air conditioning. I love air conditioning. When I go to Belize, I can't wait to get back into air conditioning. Um, I love it. But we do need to recognize, especially as believers in America, um, that we are actually quite wealthy compared to the rest of the world, even if we don't always feel that way. So we have wealth, and who gave us the wealth that we have? God, that's right. Everything we have comes from God, and He is the one who puts people in their places, as it says in Acts 17. He's the one who decides where you're going to live. He sets you in the place. Um, so he's the one who put us here. And he's the one who put you in your job. And he's the one who's blessed you with whatever money that you have. So the question is, why has God blessed you with all that you have? Why has he blessed you with the money that you have? And I believe, and I proposed last time, that he's blessed us with the things that he has so that we can bring him glory with the things that he has given us. So in June, I asked you all to ponder the question, how do we best glorify God with our money? And I hope you pondered that. But this morning, I want to look at some scripture and propose five ways that I think we can glorify God with our money. But these five things are going to all be in the context of uh, what Mike's been preaching on, go in service and mission. So as I talk about um, money 
and how we can glorify God with it, it's all going to be in that context of go and service and mission, um, since we're talking about that at church right now. All five of these things have to do with giving away your money. So, brace yourselves. Number one, give to missionaries who are taking the gospel to those who have never heard it before. Short thing, unreached people groups. Give to reach unreached people groups. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. So in January of this year, which is already really far away, it's crazy that we're in August, um, I went to a conference called Cross for the Nations. And it was all about missions to unreached people groups. Um, And an unreached people group is a people group that has had essentially no contact with Christians or the gospel, little to none. Um, So at the conference, John Piper He was there, and he preached from Romans, and he identified the book of Romans as the first missionary support letter. And I had never heard of that before, but the more I thought about it, and as I read over Romans, I realized, wow, he's right. Um, While Paul is unfolding the gospel in Romans, he is also making his case for support, for taking the gospel to those who have not heard it. Um. Let's read, starting in verse 14 of chapter 15. This is Paul writing, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with, priest, with a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit." So from Jerusalem all the way around to, oh, I forgot to learn all these names, Um, Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So in verse 20, we see that Paul really wanted to preach the gospel where it had not been made known yet, where people had not heard it. Among those people who had not heard of Jesus... And we know from reading earlier in, earlier in Romans, Paul established that without someone preaching to them, a person can't hear. And without hearing, a person can't believe. And without believing, a person can't be saved. So someone has to go and preach to them. 
So these people here in Spain, or one of those, those people groups, they had not heard the gospel before, so they couldn't believe, they couldn't receive salvation. So he wanted to take the gospel to those who hadn't heard it, so that there would be rejoicing in heaven as more and more people, more nations came to Christ. In verse 24, again, Paul says he's, he's planning to go to Spain to take the gospel there. And he says he hopes to visit them in Rome and have them assist him in his journey there, to support him in his efforts to take the gospel to those who haven't heard it. Now, when he says assist, okay, he, he means assist. Like, hey, I'm going to stop here and you guys are going to help me go take the gospel over here, okay? So that means they're going to provide the necessary, necessary resources for him to get the gospel to Spain. Um, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse 6 of Acts 16. This is Paul on his second missionary journey. Um, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region. Some more names I didn't learn. Uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysa and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here Paul concludes from this vision that they need to go and take the gospel to Macedonia. So they go. And up to that point in history, the gospel had been limited to just Asia, the area around Asia. And historians credit Paul's heeding the Macedonian call with the spread of Christianity into Europe and into the Western world. So he's like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. And God's like, nope, you're going to go over here to Macedonia where they haven't heard the gospel so that it can spread that way. Um, so he, he heeds the call and heads that way. And I want us to see who helped make his missions work there possible. So turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we will find out. We're going to read, we'll start in verse 10, Philippians 4.10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the church in Philippi supported Paul as he took the gospel to Macedonia, where it had not been made known. And Thessalonica is right there. It was his next stop right around Macedonia. So while he was there, the church in Philippi was sending him assistance. They were supporting him as he was taking the gospel where people had not heard it. Paul was working to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, to make disciples of all nations, working to fulfill Psalm 67, which is the very first song that we sang this morning. Um, it was written from Psalm 67. We were singing about, uh, which talks about salvation being known among all nations, having all peoples praise God. And so that's what Paul was working to, towards here, and that's what really the Great Commission is about that Jesus gave um, right before he went up to heaven. And so in Paul's time... He was literally a pioneer. Okay? There's plenty of places that the gospel had not yet been taken. Christianity was just starting to spread, and he's going out and spreading it where people had not taken it yet. And before going to the conference in January, I had this idea that the gospel had been to most places in the world in some form or fashion, um, which was wrong. Okay? That, is, that is not a... a, a I had a, a bad... A wrong idea about that. As of this moment, there are approximately 3.1 billion people in the world who have had zero exposure to the gospel. 3.1 billion people in the world who have never met a Christian or seen a Bible. Um, if, if every single person in the world that claimed Christianity, I'm not saying all of the real Christians, I'm saying anyone who claims any form of Christianity all of those people shared the gospel with every single person that they came in contact with, and all those people instantly got saved, there'd be 3.1 billion people unsaved in the world still. So no exposure to any form of Christianity whatsoever. That's 3.1 billion people that are headed to hell because they have not heard the good news of Jesus. So what are we going to do about it? Hey, Jesus, Jesus is like, hey... Go, make disciples of all nations. We have to do something about this. And so if you look at Romans 15 and you look at other places, um, Paul is not saying, hey, everybody come with me to Spain. Okay, He's not saying that. But he is expecting their help in getting the gospel to Spain. And at the cross conference, one of the things that they said several times was there's three types of Christians in the world. Okay, Three types of Christians in the world when it comes to missions, to the unreached. There are those who go, there are those who send, and there are the disobedient. Okay? <laughs> and um, I, actually, I actually believe that that is scriptural. If you look at scripture, you can find this to be true. God, Jesus gave us a great commission. Okay? So we're either going and we're making it happen, or we're helping other believers go and make it happen. We can't say, nah, Jesus, that's just for them, not for me. Okay? That's not an option. So not all of us can go. I actually think it is a pretty small percentage 
of people that are called to cross cultures and cross oceans and take the gospel where it hasn't been made known, especially vocationally. But if we are not going, if you're not going, we are called to support that effort to send people to take the gospel where it hasn't been made known. It's part of fulfilling the Great Commission that we've been tasked with. It is my heart's desire and prayer more and more as time goes on um, that we will see missionaries raised up in this body right here and that we will, as a church, send missionaries out to places where the gospel has not gone. People from our church, I believe that God will call people from within our body not just young. I know young people go on mission trips, young and old, and he will send them out to places to tell people about Jesus, places where they have not heard the gospel. And when that happens, as a church body, we need to be ready to send them, like really send them and support them as they go. Not just be like, God's called you. All right, awesome. Go for it. You know, like they're part of our body. We're going to send them out. Okay. We're not maybe there yet, but I pray and believe that we will be there and that there will be missionaries coming up from our church. So in the right now, um, there are a lot of missionaries. There are people going out and taking the gospel to these places. And I encourage you as an individual, as a family, to be a part of supporting a missionary who is taking the gospel to an unreached people group. If you're an individual and you're like, man, I can't do it on my own, you don't have a bigger family, get a group of friends together and support a missionary that's taking the gospel to an unreached people group. Do some research and become a part of helping someone go. If you need ideas of where to start, I can connect you with plenty. I was FaceTiming uh, a missionary couple yesterday who's getting ready to go on to the mission field. Um, They're going to head either to North Africa or Indonesia and uh, reach out to a couple of different Muslim groups out there. Um, He's been studying languages, and he's getting ready to go translate. And the problem with reaching a lot of unreached people groups is that there's no Bible in their language a lot of times. And so you have to translate the Bible in order to reach them. And that is a long process. He was telling me that the entire process from start to finish, when you go where there's not a, a translated Bible, is usually a 15 to 20 year process. And he is hoping that God lets him be a part of two completed projects before his time on earth is done. Um, so it's, it's not just a, a short-term thing. It's, it's a, a, it takes people's whole lives in order to go and reach. And so the people that God has called that are laying down their life to go, we need to step up and be a part of supporting them as they go. So I encourage you, and again, I, I can connect you with people, but I encourage you, be a part of helping someone go. Um, so that was number one. That's my longest one. Number two, give to churches in need around the world. <clears throat> so generally speaking, we're the wealthiest believers in the world, in America, and there are churches and Christians all over the world that are trying to get by on far, far less than what we have. And we have an opportunity with today's technology to render aid much easier. We don't have to, you know, send provisions on a boat across the ocean um, to help brothers or sisters on the other side of the world. Um, Technology has made that much easier. 
So turn with me to Acts chapter 11. I want us to read a few verses there. Acts 11, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So the church in Antioch decides to send money to the brothers that are living in Judea. And it was thought that there were many, many poor believers in Jerusalem and in Judea where they were sending the money. So when they recognized that hardship was going to be coming, they decided to give of themselves to help relieve their brothers there so that they would not be even more hard-pressed than they already were. Um, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This chapter and chapter 9 are beautiful chapters on giving. If you want to challenge yourself, uh, read 8 and 9 a few times this coming week. So we're going to read chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches that were unreached before Paul went there, right? Um, Out of the the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So a lot can be said here. Um, The church in Macedonia was giving out of their poverty beyond their ability, which I think is awesome. But I want us to focus on verses, the last couple of verses we read. We're not talking about socialism, okay? Um, Paul writes in other places, if a man won't work, he won't eat. 
He's not talking about forced taking from one person and giving it to another by the government. Paul appeals to the example of Jesus here, who gave his very life for us. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, What Paul is talking about is bearing each other's burdens as believers. Your brothers and sisters over here, they need help. Help them. Okay, the plenty that God has given you right now is going to help supply what your brothers that are in need, like what they need. And in turn, when you're in need, the plenty that God has given them, they can use to help you in your time of need. And this is how God most often works. He works through his church. He works through his people. So when someone over here is in need, God's blessed someone over here so that they can help this person. Okay, so what God has given you is not just for you. Okay, God has given it to you so that you can glorify him, which is often through blessing other people. Um, just a personal example. The other day I was out and I found that the wife of one of my pastor friends in Belize was very sick. And she was in Guatemala trying to get treatment. Um, so I decided when I got back to church, I would message him and tell him I was praying for him. When I got back to my office, I was uh, started working on the sermon, reading, praying, typing away, asking God, God, you know, I'm preaching on money and giving, help me to live out, you know, what I'm preaching, not to be a hypocrite. Um, and I remembered, oh, I need to message my pastor friend. So I told him, hey, I heard your wife is sick. I'm praying for you. And uh, he said, yeah, she's really sick. Please pray for us. And I asked him if there's anything else we could do. I asked him how his finances were. And he said they were completely out of money, but God will provide. And I told him, Laura and I wanted to send him money right away to help. And I get an audio message back, and he's in tears crying. And um, he said, minutes before I messaged him, he had been on the phone with his wife. And she called him and asked for more money for the tests that they needed to run. And he told her, we don't have any money. We we don't have any money. But God doesn't abandon his people. Just like he provided the widow for Elijah, he'll provide what we need in his time. And he's like, I got off the phone, and then this message pops up from you. Like, do you need help with your finances? We want to send you money. And he, sa- he said he could not believe how immediately God answered his prayer. And he thanked me, and he talked for a little bit, and he was like, all right, God just gave you something to share for your sermon, so you have to share it on Sunday. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but he was right. God answered my prayer as I was praying, and he answered uh, that pastor's prayer as he was praying. And a lot of times when we're willing, we are the answer to prayer, that, that the prayer that people are praying. And so when we give, we get to partake in that. One more verse to look at in uh, one chapter over in 2 Corinthians 9 about this. It says in chapter 9, verse 12, This service that you perform, giving, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you 
because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Don't we all want to be a part of that? Like, thanks to God. So you might feel like you don't have much, but I encourage you, when you have opportunity, give to your brothers and sisters around the globe that do not have the resources that you have. It might mean giving to a church somewhere else, supporting a pastor or a missionary somewhere else, a family, but use what God has given you to fulfill what you see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 here. Um, number three, give to local organizations that help the poor. And I'm going to speed up a little bit on some of these. So I believe that the church has the task of looking after the orphan, so we have the task of looking after the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. But one of the things that has happened uh, here in America and all over really is that we have organizations that rise up to tackle some of these things. And as Pastor Mike shared last week, many of those organizations are started by believers. Um, And the church can fulfill some of its obligation by working with these organizations. If you think of Link, they planted themselves right next door to Hidden Valley, a low-income HUD housing neighborhood with 90% single moms. They planted themselves there so that they could minister to the poor right next door and show the community the love of Jesus. But they can't and don't try to do it on their own. They ask for all the local churches to come and help do this. And it gives a chance for local churches in the area to partner together and to help the poor in that community. Or if you think of Thrive, um, they tackle the issue of abortion And they work hard to fight for the lives of those who have not yet been born and to give opportunity for different churches to come together for something that God cares very much about, which is the lives of children. Organizations like these need help from volunteers. They could not get by without them. But they also need financial support to operate. And so when you give to one of these types of places, you're helping to fulfill our call to these things in a way that we can do that. That go in service often. Um, number four, give to those who ask. Okay, turn to Matthew 5 real quick. Verse 38, you've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I don't personally think that this is a command to literally give to someone any time they ask for anything. Um... There needs to be wisdom and discernment applied, and there's definitely going to be times when it's wise not to give someone uh, who's asking. However, I think here what we're seeing is in the context of giving to the poor, and there's a lot in God's word about giving to the poor, and it's, if, if the poor is asking and they need something, give. Uh, Psalm 112 says, God will come to him who, gener- his, who is generous and lends freely. It says, he, who has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn will be lifted high in honor. And a lot of other places it talks about giving to the poor. 
And I know that a common worry is that, you know, this person, especially when we're dealing with homeless people, they might, you know, use this to buy drugs. They might use this to buy alcohol. And that is certainly possible. And there are probably times when you should not. You know, you might be like, wow, this is one of those situations where I shouldn't give. However, if anything, I think we need to err on the side of being too giving. Okay, I think... Sometimes we try to justify not giving because that person might use it for this or that. If we're going to err one way or another as believers, we should err on giving too much, not too little. If we're going to make a mistake, let it be giving away more than we should instead of holding on to too much. It might not always be like the homeless poor. Um, Sometimes you might see an opportunity to give in a grocery store, someone gets up to the line and, oh, my debit card, I don't have enough funds, I can't get my groceries. You step in there, might be at a gas station or a line in a restaurant or something, they get up and they can't pay. It might be your neighbor who's in a rough spot and is having a hard time paying the electric bill or something. Um, your giving is an act of love and it is working out your salvation. And in James 2, talking about not just having words, but having putting actions to our faith. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So as we're trying to show the love of Christ, if someone's in need and we're like, hey, God loves you, go on your way, that is not a testimony of our faith in God. Um, That's not going to turn people on to God. Um, Lastly, number five, give to the local church. I did not start with this one because I did not want to sound self-serving. But I do believe that first and foremost, giving should be done to the local church, which does help fund the Great Commission and hopefully all of the other things that we've already talked about as well. In the Old Testament, the tithe went to the work of God's institution, the temple, and other important things, including providing for the poor, came from giving beyond the tithe. We're not in Old Testament times anymore, and this is not a temple, Um, but I think the principle of giving first to God's new institution, the church, sticks. But if you don't, and you don't want to look at Old Testament principles, I think you see um, the same type of stuff happening in the New Testament. Um, If you turn to Acts chapter 4. In verse 32 of Acts 4 it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they have. And I love that. No one claimed that his possessions was his own because they realized my stuff is not my stuff. It's God's stuff. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
they're bringing the money to the apostles who distributed as they saw need. So they're bringing the money into the church. Okay, they're not like, now I've got this money, I'm going to go hand it all out. They bring it into the apostles, they bring it into the, the church, and they let the church decide what to do with the money and how the money should be handled. Um, there's a lot more that can be said about that in more time. But if you keep reading in Acts 5, you also see um, what happens when some people tried to lie about their generosity, and they ended up being struck down by the Holy Spirit for it. But if you read the New Testament, what you see is you see the local church is God's plan for reaching the world. It's God's plan to reach the world. The local church sends out missionaries. The local church partners with other churches to reach communities. The local church is supposed to take care of the poor. The local churches you've seen throughout history has started ministries to aid those who are in need. And the local church takes care of its own body. Okay? Now, does it always do this well? No does not. But it is what we as a church are called to do, and we want to strive to do it well. So as most of you know, our budget at Liberty has been tight in recent years. We have not been able to fund missions at the degree that we would like to, but we feel that we must start doing that even if it's a small start. We have to be giving outside of ourselves. Um, Last year when we were looking at the budget, we wanted to increase money to outreach, you know, doing things with Link and in the community to where we're reaching out to people, but we also want to be giving to take the gospel where the gospel has not been made known to people that haven't heard it. Um, So we've started a small amount, and we want to continue to increase to support a group that takes the gospel to unreached people groups. Um, I believe at one of the foundation's conferences, uh, the president of the uh, organization spoke. It's DOOR International, and they they go and take the gospel to deaf people groups because there's a lot of deaf people out there. And that's a, that's a whole other unreached people group because there's, as we found out, lots of different sign languages out there. And you've got to translate the scripture into all sorts of different sign languages. So they're working there and we are going to start supporting them. And as time goes on, we plan to continue to grow our giving as a church to take the gospel outside of ourselves. So my encouragement is, is give. Support what Liberty is doing. If you're not a member here, give to your local church and support what they are doing. When we send people to Belize, support them. We're sending people down to assist the church there in, in reaching their community. When we pass the offering plate, give and support the work that God has called the church to do. Now a couple of closing comments. Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is very true. It's true because God has said it in his scripture, and I found it to be personally true in my life. Wherever you decide to put your money, your heart goes there. Okay? When you decide to give to missionaries who are going to unreached people groups, your heart goes along, and you start to care more about those missionaries, about the unreached, you'll find yourself caring more about those who haven't heard the gospel. When you decide to give to other churches or pastors in need around the world, you'll find that you care more and more about the church outside of yourself, the church on the other part of the world. When you decide to give to Thrive or Link or some organization like that, you find your heart centered there more and you care what's going on there. When you decide to give to those who ask, when you give to the poor, you find yourself caring about them. And when you give to your local church, you'll find your heart drawn to love your church body more. 
These two things are connected, giving and caring. Sometimes one starts before the other one is there. Sometimes you really care and so you give, and sometimes you give and you find yourself caring. But in both of these, relationship is very important. So I encourage everyone, build relationships. If you decide to support a missionary, build a relationship with them. Even if it's just a short, encouraging uh, thing, uh, email or something, and you read their blog and you spend some time praying for them. Find a way to connect with a pastor or a church in another part of the world. Build a relationship with people at Link or Thrive. Look for opportunities not just to give someone money who's in need, but to see if you can build a relationship with that person. Build relationships in your church body. And lastly, before we, we close, our real motivation for doing all of this is Jesus and what he did on the cross, what we sang about in worship this morning. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, which we read earlier, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now Paul is not talking about becoming financially rich here. Okay? But Jesus is the reason for us to give. Jesus gave his very life for us. He came to the earth as a man. He endured hardship and pain for our sin, for my sin, not his own. Jesus didn't sin. But while we were still sinners, while we were wronging him, while we were hurting him, sinning against him, he took our place. Our penalty for sin, which was death. Jesus died for you and for me. He became poor in order to make us rich by dying so that we could live. Jesus did that for you. And I know many here have received the gift that Jesus gave, but maybe some of you haven't. Our sin separates us from God, and the penalty for that sin is death. Eternity in hell when we die. The gift from Jesus is life. And it is abundant life, and it is life everlasting when this life ends. Life everlasting in heaven. And that gift is available to you right now if you want it. You can receive it by asking Jesus to save you. Confessing he is Lord and believing in him as your savior. You can talk to him right now sitting in your seat. It's not some magical words you recite or anything like that. Just ask him to save you. Or if you're not quite there yet, you have more questions or you want someone to pray with you, talk to me or really talk to any of the church members here. Okay? We love Jesus and we would love to pray with you. Right, church? So to conclude, um, when we think, man, you know, it's going to cost me if I'm going to give. It might hurt. Um, Jesus knows what that means. Okay? He gave it all. And he said, follow me. We love because he first loved us, and we're able to give because of what he gave and what he still gives. So church, let's be generous, just as God is generous. Be generous like Jesus is generous. So let's go, as we've been talking about go, let's go ahead and give. Um, Give to show the world the love of God and give to help fulfill the Great Commission. And my original plan this morning was to end with prayer, right here, Um, but 
Another thing that gets our hearts involved and maybe to a place to give is prayer. And I want us to give to help fulfill the Great Commission, but I also want us to pray to help fulfill the Great Commission. Um, One of the things that we do every week at IGY is we pray for a people group around the world that is considered unreached. So this morning, as there's 3.1 billion people around the world that are, are unreached, I want us to pray for one of those people groups that is, is largely unreached. So what we're going to do is just for a couple of minutes as we're nearing noon here, you're going to gather with a few people around you. You can turn around, you can huddle in groups of three, five, whatever you want. And we're going to pray for a people group. This morning we're going to pray for the Marasi people in Pakistan. You can throw that up there, Daniel. Um, so... There's Pakistan and the, the red up on the left. Um, the Marasi people in Pakistan, it's an unreached people group of about 2 million. Um, the New Testament has been translated into their language, but the Old Testament has not been translated yet. There has recently been an indication that as many as a few hundred people have identified themselves as Christians. So it sounds like the gospel might be just starting to move into the area. Um, but if you think of a, a few hundred and two million, you think of the St. Louis area, if there were only, you're one of, you know, 300 Christians in the St. Louis area. That's a, that's a lot of people. That's a very small group. If you tried to do the, the math there as far as what percentage, it's nowhere even near close to a tenth of a percent. It's, it's very microscopic. Um, so it is dangerous to be a Christian in Pakistan very dangerous for someone to convert from Islam to Christianity. Uh, families disown you. You can be tortured, beaten, killed. So we need to pray for those who have come to Christ. Pray for their protection. Pray as they begin to plant churches. Pray for them to be able to meet together and fellowship together as believers. Fellowship is important. Community is important, right? Like when you're by yourself, it's hard to walk with Jesus. We're supposed to walk together. So for them, they're having to live in secrecy and there's 300 out of 2 million. Like where do you find your other believers to walk with? So it's, it's a, a very different life over there. And so pray, we need to pray for them to be able to meet together and fellowship together and walk with Jesus together and pray for many to start coming to Christ. So we're going to take just about two minutes, gather with some people around and pray for the Marasi people And after a couple of minutes, I will close us all in prayer. All right, I'm going to start closing up our time of prayer here. Jesus, we want to see all nations and all peoples come to know you. We want to be a part of helping your gospel reach across this whole world. And we pray for the Marisa people in Pakistan, and we ask that you would sweep across that nation and that people group and begin to save people. Finish the translation of your word that was started there. Strengthen those who have put their faith in you and make them bold. Protect them from the enemy and use them to reach their neighbors and their countrymen. Move our hearts, God, to be a part of reaching people around the world. Bless what we give and use it for your glory. Use it to reach the unreached. Use it to bless our brothers and sisters around the world, to bless organizations caring for the poor and the downtrodden. Use it to show your love to the poor. 
Use it to help your church to be a light in this dark world. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for laying down your life and becoming poor so that we could be rich. Keep the gospel so ever close to our hearts. When we are tempted to go a different way, Holy Spirit, bring the gospel to mind. Turn our hearts away from sin and away from apathy. We ask that you would move the hearts of anyone here who has not put their trust in you. Open their eyes to their need for you. Call them to you and bring them to salvation this morning. God, we thank you for all of the blessings that you have given us. We thank you for always providing for us and for placing us here in Missouri. You are good and sovereign and you know what is best. Help us to glorify you with the gifts that you have given us. Help us to be generous as you are generous. Release us from fear or anxiety over having enough and help us to trust you. Help us to be a church that gives to help fulfill the Great Commission. A church that gives in service and mission. As we get ready to move into fellowship and eventually go to our own homes today, we once again ask that you would keep our hearts from growing cold. Revive us, O Lord, and be near to us. Set our hearts on you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.